Okay, please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in Romans. Romans chapter 8. If you have, rather if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you need a Bible. Romans chapter 8. We continue our study through the book of Romans. We are in verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul writing by the Holy Spirit. He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Let's pray. Father, I think of the, that verse in 1 John which says, Behold the manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. Just by a great work of your Spirit, Lord, I pray that that would just be made so powerfully crystal clear and even loud, silent, but yet loud in our spirit that we're children of God. And I pray for any soul in here who is not that just as loud, you would tell them you're not. You're not a child of God. And that by your spirit, Lord, you're leading your irresistible grace that you would lead them to that place where they become a child of God. Show them that road, that path. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, for protection of this service. We pray for this service and every service, Lord. Every Everywhere, every church in the city that's declaring your word. We pray, Father, that your word would thrive and be heard and you'd open up eyes, ears, minds to what the Spirit is saying to this city, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So right now at Calvary Chapel, we are in the... 
On Saturday nights, we're in the middle of a program in which we train men and women to share their faith. That's on Saturday nights, if you're interested. We will be having another session in the fall. They're six weeks each, but we go out into the streets as part of this training program, and we do the terrifying thing of talking to people about their faith. It's about as terrifying to me as any of you. If you think that, uh, uh, that um, somehow gets easy over time, it doesn't, at least for me. But we ask people how things are between them and God, and we usually get the same answer, and it's this. Things are good between me and God. They're good. They haven't read the first chapter rather the first two and a half chapters of the book of Romans. If they did, they wouldn't be saying that. Things are good between me and God. The first two and a half chapters of the book of Romans are scary. They are scary. They're not particularly enjoyable to read. The letter begins in you don't have to turn with me, but this, this book of Romans, it's a letter. We're now in chapter 8. We're, a number of months ago, we were, we were in chapter 1. And then after an introduction, it sort of begins in verse 16. It says there in verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. The word gospel means good news. In the next verse, verse 17 of Romans chapter 1, he describes what the gospel is. He says, in it, meaning in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In this gospel, he is saying, in this good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. A way of salvation for man is, is made known, it's revealed. And why is, that, why is that such good news? Why is it such good news? Well, he spends the less, next two chapters saying why it's good news. And it starts off in verse 17. The reason it's such good news is because the wrath, the anger, the judgment of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. Uh, meaning, in other words, the anger of God, the judgment of God, God's punishment is coming against man because although, although man knows that there's a God and that they know that they should be living every minute of every day for him, they're suppressing that truth they know about God, meaning they're hiding it, they're changing it, they're pretending it's not there, they're twisting it, and they're going out and they're living any way they want. And then for the next two chapters, these scary two chapters, two and a half chapters, 
Paul describes how men do this, how they go about just living any way they want, ignoring God, doing whatever they please, and and how all of this is leading to a day of judgment. And in chapter two, it says this day of judgment, even their secrets are gonna be judged by God. I'm not sure I could say Things are good between me and God after reading that. So by the time someone gets to the end of the first two and a half chapters, they're thinking, oh man, things are really not okay between me and God. They're really not. But more so than that, after reading these scary two and a half chapters, not only am I not doing very good, not not only are things not doing good between me and God, there's actually nothing I can do to make them good. Scary two and a half chapters. Because when you get to the end of those two and a half chapters, that's where you are. There's no, I'm not good, and there's nothing I can do to get good with God. But then you get to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 says this, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law, meaning apart from being good by obeying the law, is revealed or is made available even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 21, Romans chapter three, verses 21 and 22. Meaning, there's a way of salvation that's now available in which things can be made good between me and God, and this happens by faith, a saving faith. And saving faith happens when I open up my heart to God and say, yes, God, I believe. I believe you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to save me. I I believe, come into my life, Jesus, and save me. That's a saving faith. And that's why the gospel's called good news, because what we could not do in our own strength, God has made available to us. Again, verse 16 of chapter one, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ, for unto it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes for in it a righteousness is now made available. Jesus Christ is now made available. A relationship with Jesus is made available to all men. Saving faith. So for the last few months, saving faith, that faith that when we say, yes, God, come in, I believe. We've been talking about the three things that happen when a, a man or woman at the very split moment that they exercise that faith. Faith is something that's a choice. You choose to believe, to have faith. Number one, instantly regeneration happens, which means being cleansed by the Holy Spirit. Number two, justification happens, which means 
immediate eternal life in which, in which God says and, and looks at you and says, you're not guilty because you now have the goodness, the righteousness of my son Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven. And then finally, the third thing that happens with saving faith is sanctification, which is growing in Jesus' likeness over time. Growing in Jesus' likeness over time. So Romans chapters 4 and 5 are about the first two, regeneration and justification. Uh, Romans uh, chapters 6, 7, and 8 or about the, th- uh, the third one, which is sanctification. And uh, the growing in Jesus' likeness over time, becoming more like Jesus. It, it starts at the time that we exercise that saving faith. It starts at that split second, and then it continues. And over the years, more and more, you become like Jesus And it continues into the day that you go to be with the Lord. So Romans 6, we saw, we're in Romans 6, Romans 8 today, but when we're in Romans 6, we saw in Romans 6, it starts off by uh, uh, telling them in Romans 6 that, listen, prior to this saving faith, you were slaves to sin. Romans 6 verse 6 says that, but, but now that we need no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 17 of chapter 6 says, you were slaves, but you were delivered from it. Romans 6 19 says, you were slaves of uncleanness, but now you're slaves of righteousness. Romans 6 20 says, when you were, you were slaves of sin, but Romans 6 22 says, but now you've been freed from sin. And we're told that in Romans chapter 6, three times in verse 7. You've been set free, verse 18 of chapter 6. You've been set free in verse uh, 22 of chapter 6. You have been set free because you put your faith in Jesus. That's what Romans 6 is about or was about when we went through it. Now, Romans 7, there was a major shift. In Romans 7, we learned that this process of becoming like Jesus is not going to happen overnight. In fact, after you exercise your saving faith, um, there's going to be many, many failures. (laughs) And it's going to be really, really, really frustrating. Because you're being told in Romans chapter 6, you've been set free from the power of sin, but yet over and over and over again, you fail. Why is this? That's what Romans 7 is all about. Romans 7 right here, um, it says here, do we have that? Romans chapter 7. This is Paul describing his own struggle with sin and failure. He says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if it is, If I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And then the end of chapter 7, sort of the 
peak of his frustration. He's just screaming out because he's so frustrated with his failure. What does he say? He says, oh, wretched man that I am. I'm just so miserable. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Meaning there is life beyond continued failure. There is life beyond continued failure. And what is that life? It's the life described in chapter 8. Although we will have Romans 7 failure experiences to the day we die. Chapter 8 describes how to go beyond that pattern of failure. Wanting to do good. But your failure is right there staring in you in the face every morning. That's what it's about. So if you were not here the last couple weeks, we went from verse 1 through 13 of chapter 8. You may want to listen to those messages. But we started this morning, and we ended last time, and we're going to start this morning again in verse 13. Verse 13 says this, For if you live... Remember, this is a response. This is how you go beyond this pattern of failure. How do I get over it? How do I experience the freedom that over and over and over again in chapter 6 I was told that I have? Verse 13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, meaning sin, if you put to death sin, you will live. You will have victory. How is that pattern of of failure in my Christian life defeated? It says right there, if by the Spirit I put the death to death the deeds of the deeds of the body. That pattern is broken. What are the deeds of the body? What does that mean? The deeds to the, of the body. If by the Spirit I put to death the deeds of the body. What are the deeds of the body? That is the sin that continues to live in me even after I am a Christian. In Romans 7, verses 16 and 17, it says this, If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So sin just remains in me. It does remain in me. After becoming a Christian, after exercising that saving faith, sin remains in me. It's what, it's what he means here by the flesh or the body. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, that's meaning the sin that remains in me, those temptations, those desires, those passions, the book of Galatians says, war against your body and your mind. You can put them to death by the, by the, by the Spirit, it says. So in Romans um, chapter 8, Again, verse 13, it says I can put to death that sin which is still in my body, and we have a choice. We have a choice, we learn in Romans 8, of whether to live by the flesh 
in which we're feeding the flesh that we continue to obey the flesh or we live by the Spirit. We're told we have a, have a, have a choice. Do I live in the flesh or do I live in the Spirit? Now, last week, we, we put up a definition of what in the flesh means. And last week, I told you, um, it took me an hour and a half to come up with the first half of this definition, and then I added to it as I was preparing this, because I realized the definition that it took me 90 minutes to come up with fell short of what it meant. So here you have it. Who knows what I'll come up with next week. But here it says, in the flesh, when Paul uses the words in the flesh, he means, one, doing what I want and what pleases me with no care of what God wants or pleases him, and or, two, making choices based on fear rather than faith. Now that's going to get really important in just a few minutes. What does it mean to be in the flesh? It means doing what I want and what pleases me with no care of what God wants or pleases him, and or making choices based on fear rather than faith. Now, what does it mean to be in the spirit? No changes to this one. Doing what God wants and what pleases God because I delight in what God wants and pleases him. That's what it means to live in the spirit. So again, in verse 13 of Romans 8, it says you lo- we learn that, that by the spirit, we learn to put to death the deeds of the body. You learn to kill sin. How do you do that? That sounds nice. By the spirit, put to death my sin, but that sounds really nice. Steve, how do you do that? Well, we talked about this last week. You don't do it without the Word of God. You don't do it without the Bible. You don't just say, mm, by the Spirit, Ooh, I'm just going to, somehow this, this sin, this, this flesh is going to die. You take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians 6, 16 and 17, you take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So when he says in verse 13, he says, by the Spirit, put to death, kill. What he's meaning is you you take a sword, the sword of the Spirit, meaning the Word of God, and you kill it. And so last week I gave you an example, a a practical example of, of what this looked like here recently in my life. And again, just very quickly, um, I had put together some plans with a couple other guys I've known for decades, and we were just going to go and be alone together, and it was going to be an awesome time, and we bought our tickets. Then after we bought our tickets, I found out that one of them invited someone else who, relatively speaking, I don't know at all. And I was so bummed out. I was so upset. I was so angry. I didn't Praise the Lord, I didn't express any of it, although I did to God, and, and I opened up his word one morning, and I read this verse from um, Ephesians, or rather Hebrews chapter 
13, verse 14, it says this, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. And, and what, what happened was that the Lord just, just says, I took a hold of this sword, or God laid the sword in my hand, and he just lopped the flesh off. And I realized what? I'm looking for heaven on earth. That's what I want. I want that so bad. I want heaven here, and I'm insisting on it, and I'm being, I, I'm being like a little kid. I want heaven now. We're never promised that. We're promised, by the way, big tastes of it, feasts of it even here on earth, in God, but the way that God wants, and, and, and the way that I, I don't necessarily get my heaven. The word city here is talking, I... We do not have here an enduring heaven. That's not it. We are looking for the heaven that is to come. Although we get a taste of it. And, and, and so my point is, is that by the Spirit, by God putting that sword of the Word of God, in my, the flesh was just lopped off. I just dropped the whole thing. I have a complete piece about it. Another example from very early on in my Christian life. I was completely beset with the sin of pornography in the first year I was a Christian. Completely. This is every day I was running to it in one form or another. That was me, your pastor. That was 30 years ago. And by the grace of God, a little over a year into my walk, God put a sword into my hand, the word of God. I, I opened up 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. I read this verse. It says, resist him. Who's the him? Shout it out. The devil. If you, if you think the devil is a fable, uh, and he has, he's a guy with a pitchfork and, and uh, some horns, you're really going to be getting crushed by sin. But, but, but the Bible says here in 1 Peter 5, 9, resist the devil, standing firm in the faith. And here was the key for me, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And for some reason, because I, at the time, I was like, surely I'm the only one. I am the only miserable excuse of a Christian on, fam, on planet Earth that is in bondage to this for some reason. The sword just lopped off that flesh. And I was delivered from it. Now, important. Most of the time in my life, most of the time in my Christian life, deliverance is not a, has not been immediate. I take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I fight the sin in my life. I lose. I fail. I pick up the sword again. I fight. I lose. I fail. I pick up the sword again. I fight. I lose. I fail. Uh, but over time, over time, I fight, pick up the sword by the, by the Spirit, put to death, kill the, the deeds of the flesh, and there is an overcoming. It doesn't mean that it'll never come back. Uh, because, but when it does, I have to pick up my sword again over and over and over. There is deliverance over time. We won't be perfect but we will grow into Christ-likeness. What's the promise at the end of Romans 7? It is a promise. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. There is deliverance. Don't, be li don't say, well, my family background or whatever, or just you don't realize 
you don't realize what it's like to be me. No, no, none of that. The promise of God is that you have deliverance from that pattern of sin. So again, verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let's continue in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Have you ever wondered whether you were a son of God? Have you ever wondered whether you were a child of God? Have you ever wondered how you can know that you are a child of God? The Bible does say in 1 John 5, 13, these things are written so that you can know that you have eternal life, that you're a child of God. But how? How do I know that? You just read it. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Well, how do I know that I'm being led by the Spirit of God? Well, I read the verse about 15 times in verse 13. (laughs) Verse 13 says, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Meaning, if in your life you're grabbing that sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and, and, and and you're... hacking away at sin. You're, you're, you're battling it. You're fighting it. You're wrestling it because you know that that sin is contrary to God because that sin killed the Son of God. That sin is hated by God. He doesn't hate you. He hates the sin, theref- sin therefore, that, that killed his Son. And that means, though, if you're battling it, if you've taken up the Spirit and you're battling it, it means that you are a child of God. That's what that means. As it was famously said by someone, I thought it was Spurgeon, but I, I, I looked it up and it, I don't know who got this, but a dead man doesn't wrestle. Dead men don't wrestle. Are you following with me now? If someone has been brought from death to life by the Holy Spirit, which happens when they exercise that saving faith in God, if they've been brought from death to life, They wrestle against sin because they're aware of God. Yeah, there's people out there that they're wrestling against their alcohol or they're wrestling um, against their um, sexual addiction or they're wrestling against their uh, gambling addiction, but there's, God has nothing to do with it. But if being aware of God, that he hates that sin, that, he, that, that, that your God saved you from that sin, that Jesus Christ died for that sin, and you're wrestling with it, the Bible says, this verse says, verse 13 and 14, you are a child of God. And you can have that confidence. That's what the Spirit does. Someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they're not saying, oh, you know, I know this really uh, grieves God, and, 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 they, and they battle it until death, either themselves or that thing is, is dead. 
We put this up last week, Proverbs 24, 16. Isn't this a great verse, Proverbs 24, 16? Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Now, it doesn't say, it doesn't say um, the righteous never fall because every single righteous person falls. Every sing- if you are righteous in Christ, if you're in Christ, you will fall and you'll fall many times, but you always rise again. That is proof that you're a son, you're a daughter of God. Again, verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. Let's go to, let's go to verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. To me, this is the most comforting verse in the whole Bible. I just melt every time I read this, and I go to this verse a lot. Steve, you didn't receive a spirit of fear. You didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out Abba, which in Aramaic means daddy, father, that sense of intimacy about your God. In my opinion, the most comforting verse in the whole Bible. Why does Paul say this? Why does he say in the context that we've been reading this, why does he all of a sudden say, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear? Why does he say that? Well, remember Romans chapter 8. Remember what it's all about. We're not there yet. (laughs) Remember what it's all about. Remember that. Romans chapter 8 is a response to Romans chapter 7. In in Romans chapter 7, what was the question? How can I be delivered from this pattern of my Christian life of failure after failure after failure after failure? Romans chapter 8 is a response to that. It answers that question. And here in verse 15, Paul answers that. He says, We've ne- we haven't been given a spirit again to fear, a spirit of bondage again to fear. We haven't been given that spirit. What does he mean by that? Well, the word bondage there um, in verse 15, most translations say slavery. Okay, now we can have it. Thanks, Cayo. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to, to fall back into fear. Most translations say the word slavery. It's really the same Greek word, slavery. You, I, I, you didn't get a spirit of slavery to fall back um, into fear. So what Paul is saying, remember what we said from Romans chapter 6? He's saying, you're not a slave to sin. 
Remember chapter six over and over again, what did it say? You're not a slave to sin. You're not a slave to sin. You're not a slave to sin. So when you go back into failure over and over and over again, be reminded that you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now, but, now what does fear have to do with anything here? It has, to, it has everything to do with with sin because arguably most sin is the result of fear. Most sin is the result of fear. In fact, why do people refuse to come to Jesus and and have eternal life? Because they're fearful that it'll ruin their life. Oh no, I'm going to be in bondage to all that religion. What is that? That's fear. Fear. And, 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 and so when you're in that pattern of sin, you keep on failing over and over again. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery again to fear. And, and remember, remember our definition of in the flesh. What do we say? In the flesh, doing what I want and what pleases me with no care of what God wants or pleases him and or making choices based on fear rather than uh, r- rather than faith. So much sin is caused by fear. I fear peer pressure, so I get drunk. Um, I fear my boyfriend will break up with me, so I sleep with him. I fear what people think of me, so I dress in a way that I know is wrong. I fear not getting this job I want, so I lie to get it. I fear losing this job, so I cheat when I'm asked to cheat. Are you following me? Those kind of sins, you're not doing them because you'll want, it's the first part of the definition, you're not wanting to do it and, and it's not even pleasing you, but you're so fearful, you're sinning anyway. So much sin is a result of fear. And, and what Paul is saying is, is look, stop it. <laughs> Verse 15, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage, of slavery, again, meaning this is what the life you once lived, to fear. He's saying that you don't have to stay in this miserable place of failure after failure after failure because the spirit you receive, the spirit of God who lives in you, it's not the spirit which, which you used to be a, a, a slave to in which you over and over again sin because of the fear of what would happen to you. No, he continues on in verse 15. That's not the spirit of you have. You have the spirit of adoption. By whom? We cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. And you talk about a motivation not to sin. You talk about a motivation knowing God hates your sin. (laughs) Knowing that you've been joined to God. Remember, we've been told uh, in Christ over 50 times, we're in God, we're in God We've been joined to him. What a motivation to stay away from sin. And so when when we're we're in this this pattern of falling back over and over, I'm never going to get angry again for the rest of my life, even if someone's rude, and then it lasts five minutes. And and instead of saying, uh, oh, wow, I'm not going to... fall into a, a spirit of fear like I'm, I'm never going to be able to overcome this again. No, I'm just going to go to my, my God, my Father, and say, God, look at this. I need you. 
Help me in this battle. You are my help, says your psalm. Help me. Help me through this. Daddy, I don't like this failure. I'm so tired of failing. I'm so tired of letting everyone down that's around me. Help me, Daddy. Second Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You will not have a victory over a pattern of failure in your life until you embrace the promise that God is your Father and He looks at you and everything in your life proceeds from His good hand because just like an earthly father feels about their own children. He wants the best. He, that's it, embracing the, the promise that God wants his best for you and that you've been joined to him and that he's now your dad. He's, he's, you're not, he's not like reluctantly or begrudgingly allowing you to play in his playground. Forget that. He wants you out of the playground and into his throne room and, and, and just being with him, receiving from him. God didn't give you a spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but a spirit of adoption, meaning you have been adopted into the kingdom. We're going to study next week. You, you are actually a co-heir with Christ, his only begotten son. And he loves you. And oh, how that verse has just poured like water onto my soul, especially in my time in the morning when I just wake up with fears that this person is coming against me and this person is saying that and that person's not cooperating and this family member is, is doing this and, and this, this person at work is what? And then just like water onto my soul. I'm given a spirit of fear. but a spirit of adoption by whom you cry out, Father, am I, am I in control of your life, Steve, or not? Am I your father or not? And then finally, verse 16, it says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's a heavy verse. You feeling heavy? That is a heavy verse. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How? By the cry that comes forth within us that says, God, help me. Help me in the mess that I've gotten into. That, 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 that witness in your life by which the spirit, um, by, by, by operation of the spirit, you're crying out to your father and you're remembering, oh, this is my father. There's a witness, a supernatural witness that you're a child of God by the fact that you're, you're returning to your father. And to, to me, this is, you know, over the, you know, pastoring for decades now, this is a, a great, great evidence 
that someone is truly a child of God. I'm not a believer in backsliding. I don't think it's, I don't, it's never taught as the norm for a Christian life. If, you, if you're giving yourself license to fall into some backslidden state every six months, you're, you're clueless. You haven't read your Bible. However, one thing I've learned from repeated backsliders is they always go back to their father because they know where the love is. They know where the love is. And, they, and, they're, and they're being told upon entrance back to their father, what are you doing here? They're not, they're not told that. What are you doing here? They're saying, they're told, do not fear. I love you. I am so delighted you are back with me. And, that's, and, and so that becomes a witness to the Spirit. Now, um, by the Spirit to your own spirit, g- that, that you're a child of God. Why? Because you're always going back to your Father no matter how many failures. Now, we're going to have communion at this time. If the worship team could come up. Is the worship team here? Oh, there you are. And if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as we just reflect on the message and, and, and also what the purpose of communion is, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul makes it, makes it, it clear. He says, the cup represents the, bro- the, the, the blood of Jesus. The, 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 the bread represents his broken body. And it says, let a man examine himself before they take communion. More than that, it says, don't take communion if you're not a child of God. It says that, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, don't take communion if in your life you have been, instead of hating your sin, you have been holding on to it as a friend. And by that I mean, I I don't mean that you've led a sinless week or even day or even this morning. Man, the stuff that goes through our minds that is sin. We don't escape sin for 10 minutes. But are you holding on to it? But first and foremost, I just, my prayer at the beginning of the message was that the spirit, Spirit would speak loudly into our hearts You're a child of God. But I also prayed to the Lord that the Spirit would speak loudly to someone who is not a child of God. You're not a child of God. If you have never in your life opened up your heart and like we talked about, exercised that saving faith, God, Jesus, come in and save me. 
Save me, Jesus, save me. If you've never done that. I hadn't done it until my early 20s. In church my, most of my life, never done that. I thought I saved myself. I thought I'd try to be good enough and you go to heaven based upon how good you are. I didn't know about Romans chapters one and two. Well, that's a crazy, crazy lie. Apart from the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, oh man, do you have an eternal judgment waiting for you? But again, Romans chapter 3, I think it was verse 21, it says, But now there is a righteousness which we can receive by faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never prayed and asked Jesus in your life, and just said, Jesus, come in, save me. Please come up now. I, the prayer of faith can help you through that prayer of faith. If you want to just pray by faith right there in your seat, there's no necessary magic to, to coming up here, although the Bible does call every, everyone God calls, he does call publicly. Or if prior to communion, there's anything else on your heart that you want to pray about, you've been in the fat flesh, feeding your flesh. You've laid hold of the flesh. What is the flesh? It's doing what you want and what pleases you without regard to what God wants and what pleases God. Or it's living and making choices based upon fear rather than faith. If that resonates with you, if that sounds familiar, that's me, that's the lifestyle I've been leading, I'm in that place, come up, let's pray through that, if there's anything else you can come up, why don't we, um, why don't we rise and you can come up to pray after the worship team starts and at some po point in your leisure, make your way to the back of the room. Grab a cup, grab a, pea, a, a cracker, and then return to your seat, and, and then we'll pray, and we'll have communion together. So let's go. If you'd like to, if you'd like to pray, come up. Otherwise, let's, let's, let's do communion now.